Comic Scene, the podcast. Episode 10, Classic and Contemporary Review. Hello and welcome to another episode of Comic Scene, the podcast. And this week I'm joined by Nicola Streeton. Hi, Nicola. Hi, Phil. So I wonder if you could tell our listeners uh, about how you got into comics and graphic novels. Yeah, sure. So um, I always feel slightly uh, embarrassed that I didn't grow up reading comics. So I haven't come into the the community as an avid fan. Uh, I really came in through the graphic novel. So when I started hearing about that in the 2000s, 2008, in London, um, I I had established myself as an autodidact, a self-taught freelance illustrator and I'd been illustrating since the 90s and I had quite a cartoony style that I developed quite distinctive using text and image and when the when I was introduced to the long-form comic the graphic novel um, it appealed to me so and I wondered if I could translate my illustration style into this form and I and I at the same time it started to occur to me that I had this story which was the death of my first child that took place 13 years previously. So um, I I started working on that and um, I I did it, you know, it wasn't just I decided to do it and then it was published. I I self-published in zines that I distributed amongst my friends and over three years I worked at it and it it was... uh, my zine publication was was picked up by Myriad and they published my graphic, graphic memoir in 2011. And at the same time as I started working on my graphic memoir, I was also uh, re-entering academia at postgraduate level. So I was working on a master's which was looking at um, gender and the graphic novel because what I was realising as I became more embedded in the community in in London was that the history of comics and the industry and and to a certain extent the graphic novel industry of publishing around that is a masculine endeavor perhaps less so now but still I I was questioning that and and when I finished my master's I realized that I could pursue that to the PhD level so my PhD became a cultural history of feminist cartoons and comics in Britain since the uh, 1970s. And that is a documentation that hasn't been done before, So, which, again, quite amazed me. And so I was looking from a feminist position, but also uh, drawing on humour theory, looking at how humour has been used in these forms. And part of um along along that journey i also co-founded something called ladies do comics so 10 years ago 2008 with sarah lightman and that which i i well i'll talk a little more perhaps later about what it actually is but basically it's was a kind of um club really to talk about the types of works we were interested in and it slowly has become a more central focus of my life in terms of academia, but also in terms of what my practice is now. And uh, bringing that up to date, uh, you released uh, last year uh, The Inking Woman. 
Oh yes, yes. So after my, so I'm now Dr. Nicola. Uh, very importantly, Dr. Nicola. And um, after that, I co-edited a publication called The Inking Woman, which is again a, a history, heavily illustrated history book of 250 years of women's cartoons and comics in Britain. And it's for a general reader, however, it is informed by my PhD research. So the narrative that runs throughout draws on that. And, and I co-edited it with Kath Tate, who was one of my case studies in my research. So again, it's about um, how paths along the way conversations then become something else. So, yeah, you've, you've touched upon it already, but your work cuts across academia and practice I suppose it's safe to say and your work's often quite experimental and you're mixing up you know your techniques and so what so what would you say your, your your kind of main focus was and what your main focus is now? My main focus when I started um was I come from illustration so my everyday life was about sitting down and drawing and it's actually changed quite dramatically I still say I'm a cartoonist and then I think wow, I haven't really sat down to draw solidly for some time. And, and, and that's partly academia, but it's, and it's partly uh, what I do now. And I say my practice is less about drawing now than making friends. And it's so what the art I work in is the art of friendship. So, so that's a, a damn sight easier than sitting down drawing <laughs> but it's about um, making connections with people and a curiosity about how people work and why they work and what they're working on and so in a sense um, I'm more of a facilitator in the more recent works that I've done and more recent projects I've been involved with and as I said to you Ladies Do Comics has become a central part of that and I like I I started talking about, so it, it was a meeting, a, a monthly meeting in London with invited guests. And that became the heart, really, of my PhD. So from when I started feeling slightly like it's a kind of hobby club that I do, like a reading group that I'm part of, it actually became more and more important because um, it, it gave me access to particularly women. It's it's women-led, but not women, ladies do comics. And it, it gave me, and it's a free event, so it gave me access to um, cartoonists and comics artists that I might not have otherwise know, even known about. So that's been important. And it's, it's with, together with the badge of the PhD, it's, it's given me a pass to talk to people as well, if that makes sense. So I can it's become quite a known about um, organisation, really on an international level in the comics community. And that's that's been really a nice way of making friends and, you know, cold calling people with with a, you know, an attachment to explain who I am. Yeah, we've had you up in Dundee a couple of times, and oh, uh, yes. and, and uh, we've uh, we've we also uh, crossed paths at, at various uh, comics conferences uh, across the UK. So, so it is important to get the word out there, and there is talk of us having a, a Dundee chapter of the uh, uh, Ladies Do Comics. Yes, I really hope that happens. We did have a we had a Glasgow chapter for a while. 
of ladies do comics and so what i've talked about with some of the students at dundee is is have a scottish chapter so that it moves between edinburgh glasgow and dundee that would be my wish and certainly it's 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 something that can come and go so it could be a pop-up once a year or more regular and that's that's how it works but it it, it has been really nice it's grown internationally I, i've just been in india where i launched uh, ladies to comics india and it looks like uh, a chapter in bangalore in india will become a regular monthly event and that's really nice because it's it means access to a whole different um perhaps you know different issues that are being drawn in comics form or addressed which is really interesting yeah no that sounds great so keep keep your eyes peeled for that the, the dundee chapter hopefully uh, starting up soon um, so uh, today uh, I've asked you to come along and choose uh, a classic uh, comic or graphic novel and a contemporary one. Now, I know you've got a few choices, so let's start with with one of your classic choices. So you said, well, for me, I, I hope it's old enough. You said an old comic. I'm I'm selecting Fluffy, which is um, a graphic novel by Simone Lear. And uh, she worked on it. The original uh, form it came in but was made in 2000 to 2003. So does that count as classic yeah, yeah, now? Definitely. Yeah, I mean, some, <laughs> some people picked a comic from last year, you know. So, oh, no, so that's good. I think okay. we're okay with that front. Yeah. So um, the reason I've, I've, I'm really, the reason I've selected that is partly because it's my favourite all-time graphic novel so that's one thing and it's a it's a story for anyone who has isn't familiar about of it it's a it's about a baby rabbit who insists that a man a a, a bachelor michael pulcino is its father or its daddy and it's just he he's adamant that he isn't and <laughs> don't be silly how can i be your daddy you're a rabbit and it's just hilarious and charming and uh, I really, really like the aesthetic, the designed aesthetic of the work. And what I find really interesting is how it came about or how Simon's Leah, Simon Leah's um, path came to be mm -hmm. fluffy. Yeah. Simon uh, studied illustration at Brighton in the 90s and then went to the Royal College of Art to, to do her MA in illustration in 2000. And actually, it was there that she was she was going there with the intention, the plan to be a children's book illustrator, which is she does do illustration for children's book. And while she was on the MA, she met Tom Gould. And that's where she was introduced to the idea of comics. And they their first collaborative comic they did was called First. And they won an award from the Deutsche Bank sponsored it to print a thousand copies of their follow up comic, which was called Second. And then together they set up Cabanon Press in 2000. So their their starting point was self-publishing. And what I really like about that story, that background, is this DIY ethos that is certainly part of the comics and graphic novels community and world that I'm associated with or I'm interested in rather than the more mainstream um comics that that is made in a team and and by a big company so it's the diy the 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 making the self-publishing is where i think interesting works have come about but but what 
is interesting or what i think is so curious about what they did with that is when um and with with fluffy so so leah published fluffy in four volumes and self-published them and distributed them in the, and this is in the early 2000s there were a few comic shops in london that were were carrying self-published small zine type works it's much it's much increased by now and and what it is is you pick you pick up fluffy and it has the feel of simplicity so you pick it up and you might think oh i could do this it's just a black and white photocopied zine or the first uh inter you know the first volumes and and that's what she's is so clever because if you look carefully the production quality the simple line the typeface it's a it's not just black and gray it's a very dark blue line which is digitally shaded it appears black and gray but actually by taking that using a one color print but but deciding not to do black it distances itself from the ordinary and it's this costs the same it's low cost but it has a much more of this design aesthetic so it and yet gives this impression that anyone can do it this association with the zine culture the diy yet um is something else something which which mirrors her highly trained and tutored um approach to this and so she it was actually interesting as well for me that it was really although she sent it to the publishers the volumes it was actually word of mouth that uh jonathan cape kind of discovered her we might say discovered in in speech marks you know she so although they had a copy on their desk it was it was because other people had bought these zines and hey look at this so again this slightly romanticized idea of how um how publication works and i i think it probably can still work today but but i think now the graphic novel where we are now is this idea that um you have an idea you draw it into 200 or, or so pages 150 pages and then you've got a graphic novel and then you get a publisher job done and actually i think in if we look at how often publications actually appear finally in book form it's through a more circuitous route that involves self-publishing it involves word of mouth it involves um you know moving between publish or you know it, it's not just you send it to a publisher and a publisher picks it up it's often more more painful in a way <laughs> yeah i mean i'm looking at some of the the pages uh in front of me just now and i think you're right it does the simplicity of it does does sort of hide the fact of how complicated it is and i think people often assume that when they look at like simplified art uh, or that's that's easy to do until you try and do it yourself and then you realize that you've got to have that initial training in there and, and be able to draw you know uh, before you do something so so kind of pared down you know i think that's what that's what's really interesting about this to me and also the format i, I really like the format of it as well that kind of square format which is which is quite un or certainly was quite unusual yeah and and again it's it's if you're if you're un if you're not trained visually then you would go as i would the a5 or a4 because it's what we know but a designer will always go in between so it gives it that it gives it uh subconsciously you pick something up 
and like you say, you think, oh, anyone could do this, but to get the same quality is it, it's a lot more thought has gone into it. So it's interesting for that. I keep saying it's interesting. Sorry, but but for me, that's 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 what um, I think makes it stand out. And it's it's I suppose the equivalent would be um, so you know Marjan Satrapi when she made the animation of Persepolis, yeah. she insisted that it was handmade. And although you wouldn't be, you might not be able to tell in the final animation whether it's handmade or not. I think that subconsciously there's something that comes through from that different approach, that different uh, laborious uh, process that goes into it. So it's that, it's what goes on behind the scenes that, that, that produces something that on the surface might seem the same as something else as all the rest of the stuff out there, but actually becomes something set apart because of the process. Yeah. No, I think I think you're right. I and mean, when we've we've actually chatted about this before about, you know, transferring your know, comics into into animation or, or film and it's it's a tricky one um to get right. And we've spoken about this on a couple of the other podcasts where, you know, it's actually quite problematic at times and people make the assumption that, well, if it works in, in that format it'll work as a as a film or an animation. But that's generally not the case, you know, and uh, certainly and I've said this before, we teach, you know, the animation work and the, the comics work very, very separately. Mm, yes, I have talked to you about this, Phil. I remember, yes. It's uh, I, I I'm I'm simply kind of making a comparison of of um an approach really uh, that that can produce a quality that seems the same but isn't. Yeah. And the thing is about looking at looking at it though that you know the what what strikes me about about the illustration work in, in this uh, particular choice is that the, the, the characterization really shines through. Uh, and that's really difficult to do when you're, you're using a very minimal line. Yes. And well, what, what the appeal of it for me is also, it's, it's so charming and so funny um, because this rabbit, this anthropomorphic, you know, animals is, is as well, it's, it's a nice reference to the history of comics, but it, it says things that toddlers might see. There's one line where it says, the ice cream is nice because of the ketchup. So, it's this <laughs> <laughs> and then there's this kind of, you know, one minute and a rabbit, one minute it's a child, and this sort of uh, all through this uh, this sort of fuzziness blurring the line. And um, also, I forgot to mention, Simon Lea has a weekly uh, cartoon comic strip in the Observer that that people might fe- be familiar with her work. And again, it's it's using this this charming um, reference to the everyday. And I think that's what she does so brilliantly. Yeah, and, and I'm looking at, you know, again, some more examples here. What, I, what I'm really struck by is this, the scale of the characters, you know, the scale of, of Fluffy and the, the human characters, which which is, is really interesting to see, you know. It's a, it's a really nice piece of work. And, uh, and again, if you're, not, if you're not aware of it, then, then it's definitely one um, to hunt down. So that's, yeah. that's your first choice uh what are we going to talk about next well you asked me to choose some current works and i i couldn't quite pin it down to one so i'm going to ask if i can choose two yes that's (laughs) (laughs) and one is printed is one is um 
which I might start with is The Lady Doctor by Ian Williams, which is a graphic novel that's just been published 2019 by Myriad Editions. And it's part of his planned trilogy. So the first one was The Bad Doctor that came out in 2014, uh, based on the story of Dr. Ian, sorry, Ewan James. (laughs) And um, well, I I laugh because... uh, he when I, I've known Ian for uh, around 10 years and um, what made me laugh is when he worked on The Bad Doctor, he was very clear that before it came out that it wasn't he wasn't going to talk about it as autobiographical. And he was so uh, keen to keep it non-autobiographical that he changed the name of the doctor from Ian to Ewan. <laughs> <laughs> Giving it this Welsh uh, slant and that you uh, and James and that's like well it's a heavy disguise Ian isn't it <laughs> so um and I think what uh, once it was published I think he realised it was safe to to say it was quite autobiographical and and uh, referenced his own experience both as a, so Ian Williams for anyone who doesn't know his work is a GP turned uh, cartoonist. And um, he set up most important, very importantly, but not most because his work is great. uh, He set up something called graphic medicine. So um, it's it's in a way it's parallel to how my my own work with Ladies Do Comics has paralleled my my practice. Although, of course, he's cracked his second album with the Lady Doctor. So he he has this story of um the this a partnership of three partner doctor partners in a health center in wales and the bad doctor was about dr james and this one is about dr lois the 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 lady doctor so it's a focus on her stories as um her estranged mother comes back and um and and basically set in this scene but uh, what what's what I like about Ian's work is again it's very funny so I I like like Simon Lear's work it's a kind of tragic comedy so because uh, it's set in a doctor's a GP general practice surgery it has this um these tensions with the patient but what it does so cleverly is um it uses comics as a social commentary. So I think more in this one than the past one is, is, you know, he's, he's looking at the conflict of patients and their demands alongside government demands. So in an NHS, you know, being, being chipped away, uh, particularly in this story around prescription drugs. And then he positions the doctor in the middle of this. So the doctor, we we see through a different lens. We we really see, we get to meet the doctors that he presents as human with all their foibles as well. So um, I'm just going to, <laughs> I hope it's not a spoiler, but the funniest bit, which I read it and it not only has it changed how I, think of Pinocchio but it also is um it can only it's so funny to me it can only have been taken from life is uh she has a patient with a Pinocchio face tattooed on his genitals mm. 
I think it's safe to say because it's on the it's on the website, the official website. Oh, is it? So yeah, yeah. It's not yeah, too yeah, much yeah. of a spoiler. It's not a spoiler, but it is so funny, so funny, and and I think it's made funnier because of the drawing, yeah. because you know Ian's drawn it. So it's this sort of the humour, but also the tragedy, as yeah. you know, as as the patients and also the doctors with their own their own personal. Uh, tragedies and traumas but always this sly humor again if you if you for your flight back to the first book which which uh, i'm pretty aware of and it's it's well kind of studied uh, here in dundee and um, it, it looks again like the first book it looks quite cartoony and, and light but it's incredibly dark and it gets mm. incredibly dark uh the imagery the subject matter and and even the way that that the art is depicted and it's depicted in that kind of open line way and lots of nice use of light and dark and, and interesting panel layouts and borders and no borders and you know hidden meanings and in hidden imagery and you know and, and that strikes me that this this one again it's 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 slightly mixing up the the color palettes uh, if i'm looking at some of the examples here uh it's a bit more it's a bit more colourful, but again, still dark. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those books that um that again we uh, the, the first book, the Bad Doctor, that that we do get quite a lot of uh, of uh, of our students uh, picking up on and doing talks on, and we recently uh, we actually recently did uh, did some work with uh, medical school students. Who, who picked up on it, which was quite interesting to see it from their point of view. You're you're maybe not as familiar with uh, with uh, you know with comics as a or graphic novels as a as a format. And and of course, uh, Dundee hosted one of the annual graphic medicine conferences, didn't? That's it? right. Yeah, a couple of years that, ago, we were lucky. And that enough. was great. Yeah, yeah you were. So again, that's they really are uh, wonderful to attend um, because it's this mix of. Um, health professionals with comics artists and academics so it's a, it's really uh fruitful and and again i think that's the point of something like graphic medicine is it's introducing comics to a whole new audience yeah no i think that's really important and, and the, the benefits of of how you can communicate you know stories we are we're doing a lot of work in dundee at the moment and we've kind of called them Public information comics, I suppose, isn't isn't the best name for them, but that's essentially what what they are. Where we're using the form uh, of comics to to put across some really complex and, and challenging, you know, messages and, and stories. And I think that's what that for me is what is so interesting about the form, which I think is so it's really powerful. So the, the it has application in so many different areas, as well as being accessible and entertaining at the same time i yeah. think yeah we're not preaching through that format and trying to do something different so it's not just a a kind of narration narrator sort of you know narration heavy and and it's like a character just sort of doing a kind of scott mcleod uh, sort of demonstration of an issue that is a bit more engaging than that we've been working a lot with local uh, communities and people and working with them to tell their stories and getting them involved in the scripting process. In fact, we've we've even got an event uh, coming up this Friday. We were working uh, with people with dementia and and creating stories around how they how they travel, how how they how they commute, how they navigate you know a city, how they navigate our our uh, our, our transport infrastructure, uh, and and these kind of areas again is sort of slightly untapped. Uh, you know uh, the potential of what comics can do. Yeah, that sounds very interesting. 
so uh so so this this book is like you say is just is just out uh mm-hmm. and um and you said that there's, there's potentially going to be a trilogy are you are you privy to to what the next one is or is that still well i was just reading an interview that ian did and he he's he's hinted that uh, i can't remember there's the name of the third doctor in the practice is this misogynist old bloke old school <laughs> so uh and i think there's he's hinting that perhaps he could do the third one focusing on on the third partner which would be a lot of fun i think for him that's where i got that information okay. from that so hopefully like it will happen <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds like a good bet <laughs> so yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll wait and see so uh so this book like says just is just out. Uh, I think it was published just at the end of, end of January. Um, and uh, and again, if you're not aware of, of The Bad Doctor as well, that's definitely worth tracking down as well. Uh, and I'll put a link up uh, on the on the Facebook page to to this latest edition. Uh, and it's something I've I've not actually read yet, but it's on my list of, of things to read this year, my growing list of things to read. So, mm. Okay. So then I wanted to choose, um, it's my discovery of the year, really, which um, I went to a talk. It's interesting how the academia informs uh, practice knowledge. So I heard about this artist through an academic talk at Transitions in November. An Indian academic, uh, Deban Jana, was over uh, from... JNU in Delhi and referenced, she was talking about online comics and referenced Rashita Tanager. And so I looked up her work, Rashita's work, and it's utterly brilliant for me. So it's, she started something called Sanitary Panels webcomic. And um, so Rashita is a young Indian artist based in Bangalore, and she started making comics in 2014. Uh, so it's, it, I guess it's not that new. Um, she, her background is as a human rights activist, and she's the co-founder of something called Internet Freedom Foundation, campaigning for free speech and privacy in, particularly in in an Indian context. And um, she started making comics when she heard of students being arrested for posting criticisms of the newly elected Prime Minister Narendra Modi in India back in 2014. And what what I really like about her work is it's very, very funny. And again, it's very simply drawn. Mm. So her training isn't as an artist background, but and she uses stick figures. However, they really, really have a lot of impact in terms of, you know, what we're talking about, public, how you can apply the form. So, um, for example, and this is a story that happened to her recently within the last few months, she drew a comic. So she, she hosts these comics on on Facebook and she has a huge following for sanitary panels. So I think around 50,000 people, 70% of her followers are female. And I think it's, again, it's, for me, this is relevant because it's about how activism, particularly feminist activism takes place. Mm -hmm. So she drew a comic that criticized Facebook for its inconsistency in applying its community standards. So she um she drew she said something on in one of her comics she said men are trash 
and Facebook took down her comic because they said it violated Facebook's community standards. But she was not given any explanation. And so the comic she drew criticised Facebook for not taking action on the violent messages that she received. So often her comics receive death, uh, rape threats and really quite uh, violent language. So because she said men are trash, her, her Facebook page was shut down on the morning. Uh, but what had happened, she'd taken a screenshot and because she has so many followers, they had all shared it. So by the evening, Facebook had reinstated mm -hmm. <laughs> her, her cartoon, her comic. And and again, what it shows is the power of, well, it, it it's a new way, uh, I well, new, it's a different way of the comic form operating via the internet. And, and I think this is really powerful because it's very different to the print form and, and I think they're complementary. I think there's places for them both. But this is uh, uh, how it works. So, so um, what was also funny is then the newspaper picked, picked up on this story and then they, what amuses uh, Rashida is that they then published the offending cartoon. So then this her activism is quite in your face, but it's also working in this slightly quiet way below the radar. So it's, you know, she's getting her supporters to support her and then it's being published anyway. In a, it, so it's actually getting more publicity than if they just left her alone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at some examples and there's quite a yeah. lot of examples on online. If you're, if you're not aware, it's very easy to find. I mean, there's mm. tons of these, uh, these strips and, uh, and it, it's a it's very sharp it's very to the point and uh and it's very funny as well and it mm. and it does go to prove the point that even if you can't draw you can still communicate you know ideas uh in, in a very entertaining and engaging way and again it, it goes back to, to the first point that even though it's just stick figures there's something about the format of this and the form and the way that it's been handled that actually takes it beyond stick figures Yes, um, the the example I found it's it's always hard to say, but but they are it's three panels of a stick figure, and the first one says, "Repeat after me: India is a tolerant country." And in the middle, there's no text. And in the third one, "Say it, or I'll fucking kill you." <laughs> it's different, um, and it works so well. It's so simple, and as you say, and uh, it it gives the message. And, and I suppose in, in a way that, that having it uh, in, the, in the online format, if you want, it does give it that certain liberation that, you know, it might not have got in, in, in print. And it's certainly, it certainly got a, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of articles about, about this, this strip as well. If you do a bit of uh, research, you'll find quite a lot of, of articles about people picking up on, on, on this. Do you, has it been collected in print at all yet? Uh, not yet, but I I hope it it does it does come to that. Uh, certainly, I I've now got to know her and and work with her in a, on another project, and and she's now devoting herself to cartooning. She was working as in human rights, and now she's just solely she's solely cartooning. So hopefully, it will. It's the sort of work that should be or would work well, I think, in a book form, yeah, a collection. Definitely, there definitely and is. I mean, it's also the joy of um, of the internet, or, or my joy, that we now can start finding out about what what people are using comics for around the world. So she 
because she's using the internet, you there's that potential to have a huge reach of your work and your ideas or your activism or the message that you're 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 shouting about or wanting to convey. And and again, I suppose we live in this uh, you know these times of you know, fake news, and and this is cutting cutting through that. You know, this is as real. Uh, as it gets and I imagine there'll be some people who are not too happy about about you know work like this you know having having a wider audience because it is pretty critical yes yes so what was your experience of that when when you said you were recently over in in India uh, what was your what was your feelings about their their comic book and graphic novel industry if you if you want to call it that um it's it really I, I think I, I feel slightly late to the party really because there has already been activity taking place but and my interest is in what women are doing so there is there has been this bubbling uh, anthologies maybe for 10 or maybe longer um, and I was working with um, an artist an illustrator called Priya Kurian who uh, was part of editing something called an anthology of comics called Draw the Line, which was responding to the 2012 Delhi rape. And it's a collection of comics produced by uh, female Indian comics or illustrators and comics artists. And so there's works like that uh, taking place. And, and Priya herself has just... Um, another book that's come out this year is... A graphic novel about Indira Gandhi, and again, that's that's interesting. This use of the comics form to tell stories, to to actually, you know, produce biographies of of important people, or you know, people who it, it's a again for me, the comic form is a really comfortable way to digest a history that I may not go to a prose book and and wade through. So. I, I'm really grateful that she did that. So it's introduced me. It's a good way for me to be introduced to some of India's history. So um, there are there are anthologies. And what was nice for me, it's I, I think by I hosted a ladies do comics in Delhi as well, and um, there's some interesting work coming out of uh, women working about. Um, homosexual les lgbt issues and also in response to me too so so that was nice to meet them and hear them talk and and also uh create a, a format where where these artists were actually able to meet each other so that's what's nice about ladies do comics you might know about someone's work but might not have actually met them and it's delhi's quite a big city so that was that was good to be able to get everyone there. We I, I we gathered uh, four artists and that was nice. It's a challenge to get to get your your message or your work out there, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. And so again, well, I, I suppose that kind of feeds back into what you're what you're doing in the UK. So what's kind of what's kind of coming up for you next, and uh, what's on the agenda in the short term and then in the long term as well? Well. Short term, in the, we're now in March, so the end of March is uh, the second iteration of the Ladies to Comics Festival, and that's this year. It's two days. The first day is a private day where we're focusing on one-to-one -one critical review sessions. So we have 48 
slots and 12 reviewers uh, and anyone can book up. There is a there is a cost for that. Um, it's heavily subsidized by the Arts Council. And then on the Sunday, we announced the prize. So um, last year we ran it and it's a £2,000 prize for the winner. It's a women only prize. So we, although women although we're women led, not women only, this particular strand of our activity is women only. And um, what makes it more democratic is that anyone who enters the Ladies Do Comics Prize, and it's a prize for graphic novels in progress. We ask for the 12, first 12 pages of a graphic novel. And what we ask as well is that people print a zine of those first 12 pages. So what we have on the festival is an exhibition of, uh, I think they're around 70 entries. So 70 books or booklets that the audience, the public audience can come and look through. And what um, is, is exciting for us, a particular excitement is that when I was up in Dundee with you last, Phil, that we agreed that um, the where after touring, this display, this 70-odd um, collection of zines, will will its final destination will be Dundee, where it will become part of the comics archive that you're building in Dundee. So that that's a very exciting development for us. That yeah, and does as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, it adds to what women are doing. And so I think last year it wasn't a stipulation that people had to. Um, as part of the entrance, had to send in their their printed copy. But I think it's important because again, it's about the archiving of activity is a doc is a form of documentation and a form of creating a history. And um, what else have we got? So uh, we're also yes. Yeah, so we we're also a new venture. A new part of it is that. Uh, there was a one of the shortlisted prizes is sponsored by Rosalind B. Penfold, who is the author of Dragon Slippers, and it's specifically for women creators who are over fifty. So that's a special older women prize, and that's that's a new development which we're pleased with, and uh, we're going to be hosting a the first Ladies to Comics residency in the summer and also an online mentoring scheme that's already uh, sold out. So that's a pilot scheme. So lots of activity and then we'll run the festival again next year. So um, building on the strands that we're testing as we go along. So that's what I'm, my head is full of. And I, I just came back from... Uh, a project I've been involved with for two years, which is something, a British Council project called Creating Heroines. And actually, uh, British cartoonist Carrie Fransman was involved in the very beginning a year ago and and, and um, creating the initial brief. And when it came to the delivery uh, this time last year in Kathmandu, which was a workshop for a group of South Asian artists, comics artists, uh, Carrie had just had a baby, so she, luckily for me, handed the baton to me. So I, um, my role then was as artist facilitator. There were mm, five artists, one, two, three, four, yeah, five artists from Nepal, Pakistan and Sri Lanka. And this year, this was expanded to, 
to become 14 participants again in Kathmandu and it brought in women artists also from Bangladesh and India and as well as that we had um, artists from the UK with family heritage from the participating South Asian countries so the idea was so UK with um, family heritage in Pakistan, one from Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, Nepal and India. And what the aim was, was to create some visual dialogues around what it means to be a heroine and what it means, what, what it means to be a woman and ideas around gender and feminism more widely. So so as with sanitary panels, there's a the feminism, the feminist activism that takes place in India is perhaps slightly different to what would take place in the UK. So it was it was an interrogation over a week in Kathmandu with all of us looking at the assumptions that we make in our own cultures and and having some cross-cultural dialogue and i i was curious because i think if you've for for my own role i'm a tourist you know i'm a british tourist uh in in such dialogue so i i only know my own experience and i'm always shocked at my own Western assumptions around what feminism is and what feminism can be. So um, I think the the com- the experiences and the conversations you might have if you've been raised as British, born in Britain and schooled and raised, and your family has a, a slightly different outlook, um, you know, from being raised in a South Asian culture, I wonder what what your thoughts are so that was it was a fascinating week and some wonderful um artwork that came out of it and is now being developed to go on further so that's that's been a very nice um experience working with the british council so it's about fostering relationships cross-culturally yeah sounds sounds great um so um just as a heads up because we're going out a little bit later than we're recording this, so this will probably be out in July time. So if any of our listeners, uh, and certainly have some students who might be interested in this, uh, want to participate in the next round of, of awards, what's the kind of timelines for when oh, we need to do that? Good, good point, Phil. Thank you. Yes, well, we're hoping to bring it, because we've got Arts Council funding for the you know seed funding, we'll be able to start a bit earlier this year so yes please um towards the autumn hopefully we'll be opening for our calls for submission so yes do please announce it by july um so it's around that time we'll try and start making the noises because it really is uh, we're hoping we're always keen to get submissions from outside london it's, it's quite southern um, heavy at the moment and and our aim is always it, it is UK specific this award the awards but but we're keen to expand beyond where we you know where our sort of headquarter activity is so please yes share yes we'll do that we'll, we'll put out uh, near the time that this goes out uh, we'll, we'll put out the, the, the links uh, so that you can get involved because it's a fantastic opportunity I'm particularly interested in the fact that you have that physical uh, element to to the submission and uh, I just wonder generally what your thoughts were on that and you know we we always we try to sort of tread that that balance between you know 
technology and tradition and you know print versus digital and uh, I kind of fall down somewhere in, in the middle of that I suppose um but how do you how do you feel about that and what do you think that that print brings that that maybe digital uh, can and vice versa well what what it what it was for us was um this idea of exhibiting and a touring exhibition uh it so if you put in a, a plan for a touring exhibition it, it it involves collecting the artwork framing it and and so on and and quite an expense really and quite laborious you know quite quite a challenge for this the whole exhibition as it is, fits in a shoebox. So one of the partners we've established this year is with Derbyshire Libraries. So in the summer, this year's exhibition, which we call the Ladies' Lounge, will um, tour to Derbyshire, some of the libraries around Derbyshire, which means that people can sit down and leaf through them. So that's what our festival is. It's a lovely, quiet, huge space where we could, people can sit around with tea and cake and look through, you know, 50 or so different, however many have entered. I think it's, it's 50, 70, 50, whatever. But a lot of, of, of booklets and, and really get an idea, an introduction to stories. And they really are, from last year's experience, such a variety of styles and such a variety of stories. So that's, that's really nice. It's really – but I think what's, what's key to – for me, the – the best way of experience the the comic is you know that is the comic is something we hold so i enjoy that i enjoy it whether it's long form or short form it's the it's the the sort of intimacy of of the reading of holding however that's not to say there isn't space for online for web comics as i've just you know we were just talking yeah. about i think it's it there's space for both for me though it was this idea of of how do you exhibit and how do you make it accessible and cheap? So now, you know, um, one of our ideas is we can then tour it perhaps next year to France because it can fit in your luggage. It's a shoebox. And also there, uh, you know, one of the risks, I suppose, which we haven't had to address so far is people might just take up, pick up a zine and walk off with it. Well, all right, maybe that will happen. And then we reprint it. It's a tenor. It's not, <laughs> gonna break the but you know it's yeah. not this preciousness and I think that's what I personally love about the comics form this ephemeral throwaway disposability of it is a is shouldn't be lost even though we've we've elevated it to the novel form the book form I think there's I really like that idea of it it and I, I'm not I feel uncomfortable about when it's framed and do not touch and mm -hmm. so on it's that has a position that has a place but i i just think it's not it i like the history the the throwawayness of the comic and it's nice to celebrate that as well a bit yeah it's, i think it's something that you know um you know uh curators of exhibitions have really toiled with over the years is how do you display comics and, and graphic novels work and i'd have to agree with you there's nothing frustrates me more than a comic or uh, you know, artwork being behind a, a case and I can't access it and have a look at it. I find that incredibly frustrating. And there's been a few exhibitions that I've been to that that kind of you're locking the audience off from the form, you know, and it makes absolutely no sense to me. And uh, I, I'm looking at the the, the, the long list. Uh, there's an image of the long list from 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 this year, this year's hmm. entries. And what strikes me is the again is the variety of, of finish and sizes and formats. Uh, again, going back to uh, 
to kind of your, your, your first choice and the fact that it's not necessarily a standardized format and there's not necessarily a, a kind of template that, that fits all. And that in itself makes it much, much more interesting. Yeah. I like also the, the fact that um, I think for Ladies to Comics, a lot of our audiences is people who would like or who are making a comic story about something in their lives at the moment, whether they're, you know, men and women. So I think what having all this display shows, uh, it, it, it's an, a form of encouragement. It's, it's that feeling. And I've had it when, when I was starting is I could do that. I could do that. And that's, that's, I think what ladies do comics. It's at the heart of ladies do comics. Oh, the other thing by July, hopefully we're some way, the final part of our activity is to produce a, a Ladies Do Comics anthology. So we'll be working hard on that over the summer. I predict we'll be launching that at next year's festival. So the idea is to celebrate um, the activity that we have done in the last 10 years, to celebrate um, the influences, the stories of influence really around Ladies Do Comics and the way that we've, um, the relationships that we've had over the years with academia, with, you know, such as Dundee and what's happened within that time around us. So a lot of publishers, what's happened in publishing in the UK, again, with the UK focus, but this time, uh, whereas my work with the Inking Woman was about the celebration of women. Ladies to Comics is actually about celebrating a community in Britain. And that's what I hope that our publication will will celebrate. Yeah, no, that sounds, sounds great. And again, I'm not going to ask you what format that's going to come in because that would be, <laughs> yeah. be a challenge. But um, we look forward to that. You know, definitely think there's a, there's a great story to tell. And I think, yeah, that there has been a huge change in the last 10 we're coming up to our 10 year sort of anniversary of of teaching certainly on the on the practice side uh we did our first anthology um back in 2010 uh, mm. so we're getting near to that 10 years and i've seen a massive change in the, the sort of demographic and you know and uh and the industry and how you get the work out there how you get the work to market it's much less of a standardized kind of uh kind of format now and you know there's there's so many different ways there's so much good work out there you know when you go to to the to the comic cons now and you know uh, and, you, and you have a look around um there's there's so much amazing work and mm -hmm. the only downside of that is that some sometimes good work can get lost in that kind of you know in, in the amount of good work that there is out there and uh, and again that's something that hopefully we'll be able to to push through and it gives the power back to to the creator to a certain extent yeah so this is part of that and telling that story is vitally important and uh, and and we're we're keen to see how, how that develops and you know personally speaking uh, you know we, we we still produce a, a physical anthology and a digital version of it um but for me it's, it's what you can do in print that you can't do digital that, that makes it exciting i think so yeah well i guess both forms need to take place yeah and i think digital is still finding its feet ironically enough i think you know it still doesn't quite know what it is and what it can do or what it's capable of uh and i i find that a bit frustrating that the, that there isn't as much crossover as as maybe I, I thought there would be you know i mean i thought you know this would be the the shiny future where i wouldn't have you know 
my shelves, you know, creaking with the amount of physical copies. I think I'm buying more print now than I've ever bought. Yes, I, I have to confess, I find it difficult to buy a graphic novel on Kindle. I I, I resort to the hard, the, you know, the physical copies still. Yeah. Do, do you? Yeah, I do. And and again, it's not great. I'm looking around my, you know, the <laughs> studio and it's, it's not great for space, um, <laughs> unfortunately. But there is something about that, that this, you know, I've got, and I've also got, I, I've also been doing this weird thing where, where I'll buy the, physical copy and a digital copy and I don't know what's going on there I mean uh, and th- th- what I've also found I don't know if you do this uh, Nicola but basically um, because my collection's got a bit of control sometimes I will buy stuff physically that I know I've already got somewhere and I just can't find it that's pretty yeah, bad yeah. isn't it that's yeah. that, you know you know you've got a problem when yeah when I, that do that. I do that I do that it is there and you know but again you know, print is is evolved and it and it's moved into different areas and it is about that kind of it's about that the special finishes or 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 the lo-fi finish that you know that again you can get that you know means that it, it liberates you know anyone could publish it and when I was when I was a kid you know just having access to a photocopy on a stapler meant you were a publisher so that so that's a that's a bit of advice to, to my students it's not all about the the perfect bound graphic novel there are other other ways and 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 maybe more direct ways of of reaching your audience so mm-hmm. great well thanks for for joining us today um and uh, what we'll do is we'll, we'll put up these links and hopefully by the time this podcast goes out we'll have a bit more information about next year's competition and how you can uh, engage with that and uh, we will look forward to welcoming the shoebox up and in, up into dundee oh yes thank you again all right thank you phil thanks very much bye bye Join us next time on Comic Scene, the podcast.